0: Hello, and welcome to Citizen Kane Minute, the show that examines the greatest film of all time, five minutes at a time. Proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me to discuss minutes 45 to 50 of Citizen Kane is frequent Fire & Water Podcast Network guest, Dr. Ange. Hi, Ange. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me onto the
1: show. It's sort of like an adjunct of film and water, I think.
0: Sort of, yeah. I mean, look, at this point, I don't think there's any show that I do for the network that you won't be a guest on or have not been a guest on at this point. It just feels like a <laughs> rite of passage that you should be, because you, aside from being a, a medical professional, you have varied interests. You like classic movies. You like all kinds of music. You like comic books. You, you, you are a Renaissance man, Ange. And so I like to have people like that on my shows.
1: Well, uh, I'll accept the compliment, basically. <laughs> Thank you very much.
0: There we go. All right, so, <laughs> so like I said, we're here to talk about minutes 45 to 50 of Citizen Kane. They're going to start with, Bernstein and Leland talking about Kane and then they're going to end with uh, Leland talking to Mr. Thompson. But before we get to the five minutes, I have to ask you, Ange, when did you first see Citizen Kane?
1: You know, I feel, uh, Rob, that I almost have like three origin stories about Citizen Kane. So uh, I first saw it, I would say, probably in college. Um, as I've mentioned a couple of times on other shows with you, my dad would expose me to uh, older movies that were available, you know, pre-cable. Um, and there was always this mention of Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is like, the best movie ever made. You need to see it. And so I think in, like, college, I was starting to, like, oh, maybe I should start to see some of these classic movies that I haven't seen, uh, rented it from uh, a video store and watched it. And I think when you go in with super high expectations for something, like, you're told this is Apple or Genius, there's, you're just going to be let down. Of course. And um, And I think when you're 20 maybe some of the themes of this movie don't actually like resonate with you that much. I'm like, why is this guy sad? It's like <laughs> totally rich living in a castle. Right. So, um, so I was like, I don't understand why this is the best movie I've ever, uh, ever made. I don't quite understand it. I, de- I describe it um, as like from a music point of view, I'm a lyric guy, not, not a music guy. And mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I don't know if I recognized the, The technical aspects of the film, I really just concentrated on the story, which didn't work for me. Then I would say, you know, the next time I saw it was probably medical school. Like, maybe I should give this another shot. And I went in with very low expectations because I had seen it that one time. And actually just sat down and watched it as a movie and was completely blown away. Uh Uh, So it's like, oh, like, I'm just going to sit down and watch this. You know, it's not homework the way, like, you talk about it. Uh, and and I thought it was fantastic. And then I would say since that time, about every three years I'll watch it, but now that I've become a bigger movie fan or film buff, it's just hard to to separate. Now I'm trying to, like, understand the genius behind it, um, and as a result, it's, it's become homework, uh, which uh, is sort of sad. I wish I could go back to that, that younger guy that, like, watched it. Uh, I'll give you an example you know, in a recent episode, you talked about when he said, here are my principles, right? And right, he right. Le- he leans forward, and he's in shadow. But Everett Sloan and uh, Joseph Cotton are like, bathed in light. And I've been watching this movie in the five minutes, like watching five minutes at a time in preparation for listening to your episode. <laughs> and And when that happened, I was like, and I've seen this movie a bunch of times. I was like, okay, what is Wells trying to say with him being in shadow like that? And how did he pull that off? And is it to say that, well, that, that Kane is like, you know, maybe these principles are like not really solid. And then all of a sudden I looked up and the five minutes were over. And I said, <laughs> I've been thinking so much about why he did that shot. I've missed five minutes of dialogue and and, <laughs> and like what's going on. Like maybe Wells just did it because it's cool, but but now when I watch this movie, I'm, I, I can't get out of this mindset of what is Wells trying to say when, by that shot, by that angle, by all of those things that, that I thank goodness that you can rewind on the DVR now, rewind mm-hmm. it again and, and watch. Um, but so that's what I would say. College the first time didn't work. Now, see, that's, that's really interesting
0: because I think if you keep watching it repeatedly and you're going back to it, you'll wind around again. Because eventually, yeah. all when, eventually, well, you've taken all that in, and then you'll just be able to kind of enjoy it again. I'm I've been watching it, of course, five minutes at a time in preparation for the show, like you know, like you. And that's I'm picking it apart. But then there's other times where I can put it on, and I don't think about any of that. And it's just yeah. I'm just in love with the story and how it's being told. So yeah, I think I think it, you keep watching it, Andrew. You'll you'll come back to that that 20 year old version and really love it. The medical school version. You'll love it again.
1: Yeah. I I think what's going to end up happening is that after you're finished and I've watched it in these five minute chunks and I've overthought it five minutes at a time, that I'm just going to sit down and watch it beginning to end. Uh, And it'll be very interesting to see how that works after I've sort of like done this deep dive into it for so long. (laughs)
0: I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what your uh, take on it is at that point. Uh, do, Do you think it's the greatest film of all time? Do you think it deserves that title?
1: You know, it's it's so hard uh, for me. I think that. Um, I mean, it doesn't the, have Gene
0: Tierney in it, which is usually your criteria it, yes, for the greatest. Yes, film of it all doesn't time. have
1: Gene Tierney, and and you know, uh, if you ask me, like, what my favorite movie is, there's a 33 percent chance I'm going to say The Third Man, which has Orson Welles and Joseph Cotton. In it. There you um, go. I think it's probably the most influential movie ever made, and if that's what you say, like, um, you know, how has the movie industry, like, what film? has impacted the movie industry the most It's Citizen Kane. And in that way, maybe you can say it's the greatest. But, you know, I've seen The 13th Warrior 15 times. I think <laughs> I've seen Citizen Kane 8, right? You know, because, <laughs> because so so it's it's hard. And, and I try to differentiate, like you do, like films from movies. But I've seen Casablanca a million times. I've seen mm-hmm. The Maltese Falcon a million times. I've even seen, you know, I don't even know if I like the lady from Shanghai. I've seen the lady from Shanghai probably 20 times. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but but Citizen Kane, I think, is like it, it's a very heavy meal, uh, and so um, it's not one that that I've watched um, a ton. So I can't say it's uh, I rank it as my own personal greatest uh, film, but I think if you look at it um, for impact, it it has to be.
0: All right, fair enough. So okay, uh, like I said, we're here to talk about minutes forty-five to fifty. We're going to start with Bernstein and Leland talking, where. Uh, Leland is trying to make a point to Bernstein about, uh, you know, well, geez, uh, we had the, 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 paper has these values and they supposedly, uh, are different than the values of the Chronicle and the Chronicle is run by, you know, fat cats and, and, uh, people that are you know, too influenced by moneyed interests and things like that. But now we've taken over those guys. And what does that mean? Does that mean that, uh, they're going to change? Oh, who they are, or are they going to change what we are? And you could see that uh, Bernstein is just, he's just having too much fun. He's too much of a a Kane loyalist. He kind of gets what Leland is saying, but he just sort of brushes it off because he just is, first of all, he's having uh, this lavish party and you've got, as we talked about in the previous episode, a full-on musical number happening in the background. And during all this, we see Kane kicking and dancing and there's the booze is flowing and the cigars are being smoked. And it just looks like a, a hell of a time, and it's just kind of like eh, Leland's. You know, he's trying to make a point, but he's probably picking the wrong, the exact wrong time to do it, because no one in the room is going to want to hear this, especially Bernstein, who we have established is just you know loyal to Kane beyond the end, actually past Kane's death. So uh, Leland's trying to do, trying to make some headway, but it's it's not going to work.
1: Yeah, um, that's interesting because. Uh he, you see Kane reflected in the window between them. Right. Right. So, uh, so uh, again, that's one of those things I'm like, what is he trying to say here? But I think it's just to say like, you know, you can't escape Kane as a, even when you're not facing him, you know, he's everything. And, and it is Everett Sloan. I mean, we're, we're we'll talk about um, him throughout these five minutes he's just an orbit of Kane. Right. And and so, you know, his, whatever he says, he's like, you know, they got work to do. They'll do it. Right. You you know, it's just sort of like an empty sort of uh, explanation about how these guys from the Chronicle won't change Kane. But I think we see, even in this five minutes, he changes. um, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, And one of the things, you know, I wanted to say this in the intro is that, you know, up to this point, I feel like every guest that you've had on could say that their five minutes is the most important five minutes of the <laughs> movie, which which tells you that, like, we're nine five-minute segments in. That means this movie has been, like, incredible up to this point, because I think my five minutes are the most important.
0: <laughs> All right. There'll yeah, be interesting. We'll get there. Which, what, yeah, where, where your case is going to be made there for that. So then we cut to, after the end of the musical number, we cut to Bernstein running in. And we see very quickly that obviously a lot of time has passed because the offices are now filled with bric-a-brac, uh, statues, and all sorts of things. And we see that Leland is spending a lot of his time presumably cataloging this stuff. And there's all these things, and we even see like a um, like a uh, like an address label, and it says from Kane to C. Kane, and New York Enquirer. Uh, we see there's all this excelsior uh, floating around. Uh, you know, they pack all the statues in, and and obviously. I mean, this, this is supposedly, a, it's a newspaper office, but it's also Kane's home. But I don't know. You already get the sense, well, how much newspapering is getting done here if this thing is just becoming a repository for all of Kane's stuff? Uh, and then we see that, that at this point we learn Cain is away. He's overseas, uh, and he's gobbling up all this stuff. And he's let, he's already, even after he's declared his principles, uh, he has now left the newspaper in the hands of these guys. Now, Leland's a, a good guy, but obviously, how important is this newspaper if right after he declares, you know, this big deal, he just,
1: he takes off? Yeah, and and he's trying to, it's like you said before, you know, he, he is a victim of his appetites. Uh, he is trying to fill some void in his life. I mean, and you can just see there are all of these crates and statues already. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that Leland, um, who I'm sure I'm going to call Cotton throughout the rest of the show, but Leland is um, singing that song that yeah, they were singing yeah. at that party, which is about like he breaks up the unions, right? Uh, you know, or or, or no, he uh, he helps the unions and and fights these rich fat cats, you know, as if he you know that is still the image of Cain that he has. But as you say, Cain isn't there. So um, uh, and again, coming up. Soon we'll we'll see that maybe he has changed.
0: We see uh, Leland and Bernstein talking, and he's reading the note. By the way, we see the uh, you know a reminder that the ceilings are a real thing because they purposely cast Greg Tolan has purposely cast a, a deep shadow across the ceiling, just a, this nice diagonal going across. Just a reminder that yeah, that's a real ceiling going on there. So we see uh, Jed reading the note, but then um, we see that they uh, they're anticipating the return of Mr. Kane. And they have made this ridiculously ornate cup. Uh, welcome home, Mr. Kane. And um, this is another one of the examples of Greg Toland kind of showing off a little bit because we get what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, like 14 people in a shot all surrounding this cup. And we can see them all in perfect focus. We can even see one little guy way off in the background while we can also read the type on the cup. Uh, perfectly so I mean everything is in focus, and this was something yeah, this is the kind of thing that Greg Tolan was really proud of uh that you could do this kind of shot you didn 't see this sort of thing in in nineteen forty one in movies, and they 're all ready to hand over this ridiculously ornate thing to Kane, and then he shows up wearing this marvelous white suit with this great mustache and this little cabana hat, and he looks he looks fantastic, but again, we get the sense that like he has he 's almost a stranger now, he has no idea. And he has a line where he pulls out the piece of paper and he doesn't know what to do with it, where he says, I've been away so long, I don't know the routine. And you're like, wow, okay. So this guy is just, he's gotten bored already with running a newspaper.
1: Yeah. Uh, first to go back to that trophy shot, I wonder how long it took them to set that up because it has these two handles on the side with spaces. And they were like two guys' heads yeah. like <laughs> that you see through that handle. And there were three guys' heads that looked like almost like they're in the trophy. I yeah, mean, so yeah. you could imagine that he must have been like, okay, Larry, you know, move down one inch, stay move in, right? Uh, it, it's a great shot. Um, but this is where I think you really get the sense that he has changed because every other time you've seen him in this movie, hair slicked back, black vest, black pants, looks like a gangster, right? And now he comes in in this white suit with the mustache. He almost looks like a Southern gentleman, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you say... This is maybe like a turning point for him. This is this is where um, those ideals, uh, however whichever he had, have left, and now he's just buying statues and collecting diamonds uh, and changing. And then it's like you say, he he's got this big social announcement to make. He doesn't even know who is the social editor anymore yep. on this paper. So so I've always tried to figure out like how long has he been away because you know it sounds like. Joseph Cotton was, or Leland was invited to go with him. And Leland said, no, I'm not going to. You go have your fun. So that doesn't sound like one week. That sounds like a long time.
0: Yeah, no, you get the sense it's at least a couple of months. And yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, he's become like a bored playboy where he's just unfocused and uh, he's off just having fun buying all these things. And he mentions, yeah, about the, the, been so long, I don't know the routine. And he talks to the social, the, uh, the social editor, uh, by the way, she's played by Ellen Lowe. She plays Miss Townsend. She passed away in 1984. She was in films like My Favorite Wife and The Snake Pit. She looks a bit like Agnes Moorhead. Um, uh, you know, I, I for a half second, I did like a double take because I know that a bunch of actors play multiple roles in Citizen Kane. And I was like, is that Agnes Moorhead? That my, have I always <laughs> known that? And I just I forgot, but no. It's, uh, it's, uh, the actress's name is, is Alan Lowe. And Bernstein is, of course, trying to not – I don't want to say curry favor – but he's trying to impress his boss. I think that he's been sort of running the place in good- and he's, he's trying to do this wonderful speech and he's like, in the great honor, Mr. Kane. And, <laughs> you know, and it's it's high, sort of high comedy. And there's even a, like even a little bit of like a slapstick here where Kane runs away and then he realizes, oh, geez, well, I could get the cup. And he comes back and grabs the cup. It's almost like a Three Stooges type take where somebody's like, oh, wait, let me get that 50 bucks. And they run away and then they take off. And then we see well, why is he in such a hurry? And then there's this great down shot outside of the paper. We see a copy boy who I believe is the actor named George Noysom There's a couple different people credited as copy boy in this film, but I believe I looked at the ages about when the actor would, was born and what how old he would have been at this point. So I think this is George Noysom Now, he passed away in 2005. He had a uh, relatively long career, mostly in uncredited roles. But get this, Ang. This guy, George Noyce, he was in Citizen Kane. He was in The Postman Always Rings Twice. He was in The Wizard of Oz. And he was in It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, I mean, boy. that's a hell of a filmography. I mean, I love these guys who, you know, pro- <laughs> I, I I hope that he, you know, dined out on that the rest of his life, talking about, oh, I don't know, I was only in a handful of the greatest films ever made. You know, I mean, he wasn't the star of them, and he was probably uncredited in most of them. Nevertheless, any man who gets to say I was in Wizard of Oz and Citizen Kane, that's pretty impressive.
1: I always think about if these guys were at cons today, right? They would have oh. four different stacks of photos, right? And he oh. was like, I was I was diner number one in The Postman Always Rings Twice, and I was Emerald City Guard four.
0: <laughs> oh man, I would have gone to Kane Con. No problem. I would have bought a I would have bought the the, the three-day pass for that. I absolutely would have been fantastic. And we have this sub, so we see this great downshot of a woman sitting in a carriage. We don't exactly see who it is. And then again, there's some kind of like slapsticky comedy where Miss Townsend is talking to Bernstein and Leland and they talk about that. It is a marriage announcement and he is marrying the president's niece. He's going to marry the president's niece. And then there's the reverse shot of them looking out the window and Bernstein has the comment about, well, before Before he's through, she'll be a president's wife. And obviously, that is where Kane is thinking because, honestly, he's bored. He's bored running a newspaper. Uh, He's gone to Europe. He's conquered Europe. He's bought everything in Europe. So now, you know, why not run for office? That's what a lot of bored rich people do, apparently.
1: Yeah, I think, again, this is the whole thing that there is some hole in him that he is trying to fill and he thought the newspaper would do it and that didn't work and he thought statues would do it and that didn't work and maybe he even thought love would do it and, and that didn't work and so now he's moving on to politics. God bless him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, Andrew, you're a big comic book guy like, like I am. I, I have to think that there was some small influence of this movie onto Batman Year One. Uh, I feel like that whole idea of Bruce Wayne—he's the, the—he's the idle playboy, and he goes off to Europe. And the—the the idea, of course, the image that he's selling to everybody is that he's—he's he's doing like a Charles Foster Kane, is that he's buying stuff, he's romancing women, he's driving fast cars. Now we all know, and you know, what he's really doing over there—he's uh, learning to be you know, the world's greatest detective and the world's greatest uh, athlete, and all these kinds of things. But I always feel like. That's almost that's the model that Bruce Wayne is following is the Charles Forster Kane model, which is like, okay, I'm the rich playboy. I'm a flipper to gibbet. And no one will think twice because no one thinks any more of me than that.
1: It's, it's true because even in movies like Batman begins, he's like, you know, oh, you're not going to let my girlfriends, you know, hop in this little fountain. Fine. Yep. I just bought the restaurant. Yeah. Right? Great so Charlie nice. Kane move. Yeah. Great Charlie Kane move.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, then we come out of the flashback, and we say again, Mr. Thompson is interviewing uh, Mr. Bernstein, and Bernstein again has the great another great line. Boy, they give Everett Sloan a lot of great lines uh, in this movie, a lot of memorable lines where he talks about. Um, where he says, "You know, you should go see. You should go see Jed Leland," and uh, he talks about that uh, Jed is very old, and he's like, "Well, you know, old age is the only disease you don't look forward to being cured of." Uh, which is just such a marvelously pithy thing to say. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, again, Bernstein, for for the amount of screen time Bernstein gets, Everett Sloan gets, he really does get a bunch of memorable stuff to say in this movie. He must have really just enjoyed uh, the script. He had really got to dine out on the stuff he got to say in this movie.
1: Yeah, um, in that scene when, uh, you know, as they're uh, they're back in his office, he also has uh, that great line where, he says, you know, you know, this rosebud, maybe it was something that he lost. Yeah. Right right there. You know? Right there. Yeah. Right there. And I think that um, you know, you start to, you know, this is a mystery. And so first there was that character that said, I bet it's not a big thing, right? Uh, rosebud. And now there's there's Bernstein saying, I bet it's something that he lost. You should start to be able to sort of maybe in your head start to put together some ideas of what's going on. Um uh, if you if you're really listening to these lines, but they come and go so fast because, you know, also in that thing he says, do you think that if we didn't have the fake Spanish American War, we would we would have the Panama Canal, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's he's giving Cain credit for the creation of the Panama Canal, and those lines come like rat a tat tat. That you better be paying attention, or that clue that was at the beginning of that is probably going to be lost.
0: Yeah, the way that stuff is is presented. Uh, especially the way Everett Sloan, Everett Sloan says the line about probably something he lost. He says it as a kind of like offhanded, he just thought of it. It's not terribly significant. And yeah, when you, once you know the, you know, the hook of the movie and you know what's coming, you're like, wow, the movie has already told us a couple of times what this thing is going to be. It's not literally telling us, but he's told us that this thing is probably something he lost and it's probably not in the scheme of things too terribly important. As you say, the, the newspaper editor says it's probably a very simple thing so we've already told us a bunch of times of what this thing is going to be and it's when you i love movies like that that layer in these things for you and then when you get to the end you go oh wow that stuff was all all those pieces were arranged on the table in front of me i just didn't see them yeah and then they're put together that's to me that's it kind of reminds me of like what i said i love jokes that um my my favorite kinds of jokes are the jokes where you have to put the punchline in yourself. I You know, like, the, other than that, how is the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Like, I love that you have to do, you know, you have to do the work yourself to figure that joke yeah. out. And that's what I love about this. One of the things I love about this movie is that it does that. It's kind of like, it's offering, Thompson is getting the crumbs that he needs, but none of it seems to really form anywhere i mean you know he's probably he's probably still thinking oh it's a woman or something else it's got to be something more significant than that but yeah it's probably something he lost well, well what what did charlie kane lose you know and we're gonna yeah. we see what he lost so yeah it's it, the screenplay again the, the mankowitz screenplay is just uh god i mean I mean, they made a whole movie about it for Pete's sakes yeah obviously marvelous marvelous yeah
1: product. and it it makes me wonder if uh I and mean, who knows but um you know when you see the end of this the first time and you're like, oh, it's the sled. Do you, back then, did you immediately say like, I want to see this movie again to see if I could put all these clues together, right? Like, were they like, this is going to be great because we'll get multiple, you know, people buy multiple tickets. Of course, back then you just stayed in the theater. But um, that's right.
0: uh, People had a lot more to worry about back in 1941, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go see
1: movies over (laughs) and over again.
0: Um, And then we get Mr. Thompson uh, checking out uh, the, the hospital that Leland is going to stay in. And, and again, I, I hate to keep bringing this back to comic books, but I mean, and you're here on the show and it feels like it's a natural thing. The shot of Thompson with his snap brim fedora looking up at the, the, the bridge and we see that the hospital is basically sitting under the bridge. That to me, it's like, this is what a Superman movie would have looked like if they had made a Superman movie in the 40s with sort of top-notch filmmakers. You yeah. know, not not to it, besmirch the people that made the movie serial, but those were kind of knocked out for ground out for children. If if a real filmmaker had deemed to make a Superman movie and with some style and some real, this is I think this is what it would have looked like. This would have been Clark Kent on the case.
1: No, that's exactly it. it I when when I saw that shot. I was like, if this was a Superman movie, this is Clark arriving in Metropolis, yep. looking up and seeing the Daily Planet globe on the top of the building for the first time. Yep. This is yep. like, I'm now in the big city. Uh, yeah. I thought exactly the same thing.
0: It's an amazing shot. And by the way, uh, I don't mean to get uh, too far afield of what we're going what we're talking about, but I will say, do you remember a bunch of years ago, this was like 10, 20 years ago, there was that internet rumor that went around that Orson Welles was putting together a Batman movie.
1: Do you remember that? Do you remember hearing about that? Uh, I vaguely remember it. I don't remember too many of the details. Yeah it, was, say,
0: yeah. it was this fake thing about that, oh, we've uncovered documents that Orson Welles was going to do a Batman movie and it was going to be so-and-so was the Joker and so-and-so was going to be Catwoman. I think they even said Gene Tierney is Catwoman, which is yeah. the mind reels at that idea. And, you know, I knew a lot about Orson Welles back then. And I was like, wait a minute, that I never heard this, this can't possibly be true, but it was just sourced enough that I kind of bought it. And the only thing that tripped up for me was they said, and James Cagney was going to play the Riddler. And I went, wait a minute, the Riddler, he didn't debut until like 1950." Yeah. See, there was no Riddler in 1942. <laughs> this is fake. And that's how I knew it was fake. That's the only reason is because I'm such a nerd that I knew when the Riddler debuted. That I was like, oh, the guy who wrote this didn't know that the Riddler came along a lot later than the classic villains. All right. this is a, But man, I enjoyed the five minutes where I thought it was true.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think at one point, even um, somewhere along the way, you put who you would cast in a Batman did. in the 40s and had Tyranny as yeah. Catwoman. Uh, yeah. And as I've said in that shot in in the Razor's Edge when she's in the black evening gown at that party, I yeah. mean that's that's Selena Kyle. So. Selena Kyle,
0: all right. So okay, so <laughs> uh, we've already talked about Superman and Batman in this episode of Minute. So, came in. so uh, again, uh, Thompson looks up. There's this great matte painting of the building as it's under this uh, high, uh, under the bridge, and you get the sense it's not, you know, not the most ideal location for an old folks home. Uh, under a bridge like that it's probably a little on the noisy side uh you know um so you get it said this isn't maybe the most high end place in the world and then we see an interior of it and we get joseph cotton in old man makeup and apparently and i i only know this from the commentary track that roger ebert did where he mentions uh which you can find on the blu-ray and stuff where he talks about that joseph cotton apparently was not happy with the makeup job that he got as an old man. He thought Kane got a good one or excuse me Wells, Wells got a good one and he got a bad one. And so they just slapped the sun visor over him to kind of cover up the 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 wig or whatever. But nevertheless, I think that Cotton makes a fairly passable old man. He seems to get the body language pretty right.
1: Yeah. Uh and a, the robe with the towel around the neck and all that sort of stuff sort of works.
0: Yeah. So and he's got the shades on. And uh, again, I love the set dressing. Uh, so much is done with so little is that we see again, the Thompson of course is in the right hand side of the screen. And we see Jay Leland sitting there. And then there's this, what looks like it's almost like chain link fence behind them, which is really grim. And we just see two people in wheelchairs with their legs covered at like these, like they used to do back then sitting there completely immobile. And, it, you know, you you get the sense this is kind of a very big, empty room full of old people that no one is caring for, no one is really talking to. And it just, to me, it makes the place seem a lot bigger than it really is, because all we're really seeing is, you know, Thompson, Jed, and those might not even be real people. They might be cutouts for all you can tell, because <laughs> they're out of focus. But I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how much, again, Wells and Tolland are able to put across with not a lot of... Not a lot of expense. I mean, there's not. A, you don't see a lot going on, but yet it feels like a pretty big place.
1: Uh, yeah, and I wonder why he's even there because he seems pretty sharp. Yeah. Uh, for a guy of his age. And earlier, uh, you know, in the scene before, they say he's there not because he's got any malady, just because of old age. Yep. Um, so why would you be in this, you know, fenced off, empty uh, place in the middle of the city? You know, you would think that he would have a cottage somewhere, uh, you know, and would be enjoying things more.
0: Yeah, it is. It's kind of a sad. You know, as you're right, he seems pretty sharp. And, and at the end of this five minutes, he starts talking about, "Can you get me some cigars? Are you sure you don't? I love it. You sure you don't have any cigars? No, I don't have any cigars. Uh, but yeah, he seems. You know, he seems pretty with it. And it is kind of sad that he's just sort of sitting there in this rocking chair all by himself, and sort of nobody's talking to him. And that's that's going to be the end of the five minutes. And you know, again, Joseph Cotton endlessly charming you and i have talked about a couple i think we've i think we've covered at least one of his movies we did shadow of a doubt yeah we did uh, over, over, over on film and water but i mean man just joseph cotton generally not the star of the movie i mean he'd starred in some movies but generally he was the supporting player but he's one of those guys that when he shows up in a movie you're just happy to see him because he's just always good he's always reliable uh, obviously very versatile. We even talked about Shadow of a Doubt where he plays the murderer in that movie. But here, he's just this warm figure. And, uh, you know, he again, he's kind of like us. He's the only one who really sort of sees Charlie Kane for who he really kind of was.
1: Yeah. Um, First of all, I love Cotton because he plays basically, a, you know, a doofus in The Third Man. He's kind of like a little bit lost in that movie, but, uh, and then he plays this murderer in Shadow of doubt. and as you say, he's Leland here. He really does have range, and then of course he's, you know, in Soylent Green and the Abominable Dr. Fives. and I mean, uh, you know, he's somebody whose career, I think, is just crazy when you look at everything he's been in.
0: Yeah, when I, I remember many years ago when I rented uh, Heaven's Gate. I was finally like, Oh, I, you know, I've never actually seen this infamous movie. And he shows up at heaven's gate for Pete's sake. I'm like, Really? Wow. This is like nice. seeing him be you a know, walk around with like, you know, Sam Waterson and Chris Christopherson. You're like, wow, this guy, is, <laughs> this guy had a long career. He's in all these sorts yeah. of, you know, geez. Oh my God. So yeah, that's, that's the end of the, the five minutes of where we're going to, we're going to, we're going to see in the next episode uh more of Jed's uh, flashback. But right now so we're in the middle of where he's begging Mr. Thompson for for some cigar. So, okay. So Ange, make your case as to why this, these five minutes are the most important five minutes of Citizen King.
1: Well, I think this is where he um, is the first time that you see that he's rather mutable or that he, you know, is going to change and just keep trying to um, get more, accumulate more uh, and and move on. And I just keep thinking about how uh, up until this point, you know, if you think about the opening part of this, he's in that black vest and that black suit and he's dancing with the dancing girls and he's like singing about how he himself is, is going to buy the drinks. And then he's gone and then he comes back in this white hat and white suit and mustache and, and runs out of the place. And so I think that you're, you learn a lot about him like he has been one character up to this five minutes. Now he's somebody very different, right? I mean, you knew, you saw him when he was old at the very, very beginning. And so I think that, that here is where I think his life takes a turn um, uh, and that ultimately leads him down to where um, he ends up. So that's my pitch. I'm not saying it's a great pitch, but, uh, <laughs> but I think that um, this is where uh, he no longer becomes that brash, I don't care if I lose $60 million, I'm invested in this paper uh, to try to be something else.
0: Fair enough. That's a reasonable argument to make. One of the things I find uh, as I get older and I watch, you know, I watch lots of different movies, you, I think you, you you tend to think you need to explain why people behave the, the way they do in certain movies. And you realize you really don't have to, you know, you can just, because we really don't see Kane between, as we talk about these five minutes, we don't see him between, other than the party and the, between the declaration of principles, and when he's off in Europe, we don't see the change. But he—he it, it, he obviously he undergoes it, but we don't yeah. actually see it. And and maybe in some screenwriting class, they say, "Well, that's bad screenwriting because you should see it." But it really doesn't matter because that's not what the movie's about. It's about the corruption of this guy. It doesn't really matter why he gets corrupted necessarily. It's the fact that he does and how yeah. the forces of politics and the media and all the other things can push somebody forward because they're famous and because they've got money and they don't people don't ask questions they let somebody like Kane do what he wants to do because he's got the power to do it so it doesn't even matter that he changes which is it's kind of amazing when you think the movie is called Citizen Kane. it's about the guy and yet the guy in the center of the movie is kind of a cipher and as you say he's mutable depending on who's describing him but it's it's a it's the movie's about a guy but we don't really know the guy at all it's just kind of remarkable
1: yeah yeah uh, you're trying to unlock him and that's also i think part of you know i don't know if with the first time i saw this or even the second time you know that this turn uh made sense to me because there's no hint up to now that that he's going to go off the, I don't even want to say this is off the rails, that he's going to jump rails like this, but it happens. And so you just have to roll with it.
0: So uh, that's it. That's going to do it for these five minutes of Citizen Kane. So, Ange, thank you so much for stopping by and talking Citizen Kane with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, Rob, I just have to say, I think that you're a horse-faced hypocrite and a New England schoolmore. i have been called much worse so uh why why don't you
0: why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet
1: uh well i'm most active on twitter um at dr ange 70 where i talk a lot of comic books and old movies uh and i run a supergirl fan site called uh supergirl comic box commentary fair
0: enough of course you can follow this show over on our website fire and water you can subscribe to the show on any uh, podcast catcher of your choice You can uh, follow the show over on Twitter at CK Minute. And then if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to the patron donor known as Slick for his slash her support of Citizen Kane Minute. I very much appreciate it. So that's gonna do it. Thanks for listening. Come back next week for more Citizen Kane Minute. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here, and decide for yourself.